Welcome to the Pursuing Faith Podcast, where we explore questions of faith, doubt, and life. I am your host, Dominic Doan. Welcome, everyone, and Merry Christmas. I pray that this has been a wonderful holiday season so far for you and your family, your loved ones. And here at Pursuing Faith, I I just want to take a moment and thank you for such an incredible year. As you know, Pursuing Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit that exists to equip Christians to navigate issues relating to faith, doubt, and apologetics. And looking back over the last 12 months, it has been such a fruitful time, you guys. Uh, if you want to hear the latest, head on over to our website because there you can subscribe to our newsletter. In fact, I just wrote one this afternoon. You can catch up with older podcast episodes. You can order resources. You can also see upcoming events for 2024. Our website is pursuingfaith.org. This last season, I've been sharing with you some messages from the Gospel of John. And in this episode, I want to look at the Christmas story through John's eyes. And if you've spent much time in the Gospels, you know by now that he approaches it in a completely different way from the traditional nativity scenes that's found in Luke or Matthew. So I hope this message encourages you and inspires you. What makes the Gospel of John so unique is that John isn't so much concerned about the facts of Christmas. He leaves that to Luke and Matthew. John is more concerned about the meaning of Christmas. So what he does, you'll notice there in John 1, there's no mention of the manger, the wise men. But what he does do is he takes this concept of, of God becoming man, and he begins to unpack it for us in our own lives personally and theologically. Now, there's a world of difference between knowing the facts of something and knowing the meaning of something. Now, I don't know if there's any fans of uh, Stranger Things in the house this afternoon, uh, but my, my theory is this, that those who like Stranger Things, they like it for two reasons. Number one, the music, which is unbelievable, right? But secondly, because it reminds you of your 80s childhood. Now, I was, I grew up in the 80s, which probably explains a lot. Um, and when you're watching it, it's kind of like seeing l- disturbing flashbacks of your childhood. And all these things come to mind in memory of what it was actually like to live in the 80s, whether it was wood paneled housing or big hairstyles or toys like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, right? And, and you watch that, and you're like, oh my gosh, that, I grew up in that. And that explains why I've got so many issues today, right? But you have that level of meaning, and it adds kind of a depth to the story. And in many ways, that's what John is trying to do here. John is taking the facts of Christmas, a story that we all know well, and he, and he tries to explain to us what it means for our life. Now, notice how John begins. John says that the Word became flesh. Um, the New Testament was written in the Greek language originally. And the word for word is the word logos. Um, let me hear you say logos. logos. And logos is where we get our English word for 
logic. We use it in math, we use it in science, we use it in the arts, etc., philosophy. But in the ancient world, logos was so much more than just a word. Logos was an all-of-life philosophy that initially was, was uh, started by this guy named Heraclitus. Now, Heraclitus, this may ring a bell if you're taking philosophy classes right now, Heraclitus was the guy who said that you can't step into the same river twice. And what he meant by that is that the world is in constant flux and change and chaos. Everything is constantly transforming before our eyes. And yet, Heraclitus said that even though there's chaos everywhere, above all the chaos, this overarching principle, that this energy that holds all the universe together, he said it was called a logos. So there's chaos, but logos is holding it all together. It's like The Last Jedi, that scene of Rey and Luke practicing on some distant remote planet, which looks remarkably like Northern Ireland, right? And he tells her about the force, this energy that pervades all of the universe. And in many ways, that concept, it goes way back to the ancient Greeks. Heraclitus, he's like, yep, that's the logos. It's this energy holding everything together. Now, notice what John does. John is so brilliant. He's so subversive. He's writing to this Greek audience and he's saying, okay, let's start with what you believe is ultimate reality. Uh, Let's start with what you believe is the nature of the universe. He says, okay, let's use the word logos. He says, in the beginning, verse one, was the logos. And so far, the Greek audience would have been like, yes, of course, we believe that, this energy holding everything together. But then in verse 14, he drops the bomb. He says, the logos became flesh. And if we could go back in time and put ourselves in the, in the sandals of that original audience, this would have been absolutely jarring, shocking. We, we couldn't believe what we're hearing because their belief about the Lagos is that it was unknowable. It was untouchable. You, you couldn't have a personal relationship with the Lagos. Absolutely impossible. And yet here, John is saying, no, the Lagos became a man. The Lagos became flesh on the very first Christmas. Now, let let that sink in for a second. God became a man. God, who is infinite and all-powerful and knows everything, all-loving, who is omniscient, omnipresent, this God stepped into the human story. This God experienced what it means to be human, pain, loneliness, racism, oppression, poverty, a heart that aches. Jesus experienced all of it. Augustine, who was a fourth century theologian, he said this. I love this quote. He said, man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, the cross, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. The word became flesh 
and it dwelt among us. But, but here's the question. If Matthew and Luke are concerned about the facts of Christmas and John is concerned with the meaning of Christmas, then what does this actually mean for our lives today to say that the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us? A few thoughts, and then we're going to go back to singing. First of all, what John is saying, number one, is that God understands you. That this God who, who came to earth on Christmas isn't just some deistic, unknowable, untouchable God like the gods of the ancient world. No, this God, he understands us. He recognizes our pain. He empathizes with our weaknesses. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Think about that. The temptations, the struggles that we face, the things that we're going through, even today, the things that are going to face us. The author of Hebrews says that he's been there. And yet he did not sin. Therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace, how? With confidence, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice how the author of Hebrews puts it. He says, we have a high priest who can empathize with our weakness. He doesn't say who can sympathize with our weakness. There's a huge difference, right, between empathy and sympathy. Uh, Sympathy is just, oh, I feel bad for you. I'm sorry you went through that. Sorry for your loss or whatever. And and sure, that, that helps. It's a kind gesture. But empathy goes way beyond that. Empathy says not just I feel bad for you. Empathy is I understand you because I have been there too. There's a reason that Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, because the best kinds of counselors in life are not those who just give good advice, but those who can relate to your story. Jesus has been where you are. He can understand what you're going through. C.S. Lewis said that friendship is born the moment you meet someone and you say, oh, I didn't know that about you. You've gone through that too. The power of empathy. Uh, Someone told me a story not too long ago of a guy who was uh, out at Safeway. And his little three-year-old boy was just freaking out, just losing it, screaming, total tantrum. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. And he, this, this father, he, he's trying to handle it in a really mature way. And he's like, okay, Billy, just hold on. You, 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 can, you can do it. Calm down, Billy. A few minutes later, the kid's still, still screaming. He's like, just take a deep breath, Billy. It's okay. They get to the cash out register. And he's like, come on, Billy. We're almost there. Just a few more minutes. You can do it, Billy. Just hold on, Billy. And finally, he makes it on his Safeway. And he's unloading his kid into the car. And he puts the groceries in the car. And this guy comes up to him, a stranger, and he's like, oh my goodness, I, I just saw how you handled your son. And he said, let me just say, that was incredible. I have a three-year-old son too, he said, and just the way you did that was so mature, the way you cared for Billy, the way you loved Billy, the way you talked Billy out of the situation. And the guy just, the father looked at this guy and he's like, well, I don't think you understand. I'm Billy. <laughs> if you don't get it, we're gonna, we have a prayer room afterwards and we'll open it up. Right, that's the power of empathy. When, 
when you can look at the, the father of the three-year-old and you're like, I get what you're going through. I, I understand. I have been there too. Brothers and sisters, whatever you're facing today, uh, whatever you're going through, whatever chaos is in your life, you have one who understands because he has been there too. God understands you. Secondly, though, John takes it deeper. He says, not only does God understand you, but God is with you. Notice this phrase. Again, we, we sing this in church. If you've heard uh, the Christmas story, you're familiar with it, or if you've read the Gospel of John, you've maybe read this hundreds of times. And it's a phrase, though, that is simple but loaded with theological depth. He says, we have seen his glory. The word glory in the Hebrew language, I know it looks like kabod, but it's actually pronounced kavod. Uh, let me hear you say kavod. Kavod means weight, substance, presence. Uh, uh, Other translations say heaviness, which will be many of us after Christmas meals tomorrow, right? It's this essence. And it goes all the way back, not just to John, but John is pulling from a well-known passage in Exodus chapter 33, if you're taking notes. Exodus 33, Moses is on a mountain, And Moses has one prayer request. He has one thing on his Amazon wish list. He's like, God, this is what I want more than anything. I want to see your glory. God, I've heard about you. I've seen evidence of your power. I've witnessed you part the Red Sea. But God, I want to go deeper. I don't want to just know a about you, I want to know you. Show me your glory. Show me your kavod. I know that many of us today were in that place. We're like, I've heard the stories. I've read the Bible. I've been to church, but there's a longing in your heart for more of God. Show me your glory. God, I ache for you. Like, like David said in the book of Psalms, as the deer pants for the water, so thirsts my soul for the living God. Show me your glory. And God says to Moses, well, I'd like to, but the only problem is if I showed you my glory, you'd die. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass behind a rock, and you'll get a glimpse of who I am, just an echo, a fragment of who I am. And and then, Moses, you'll be able to experience me, but it won't be the whole thing so you don't die. And you know the story, Moses, he watches, and the glory of God passes by. And even though it was shielded by a rock, he still came down the mountain transformed. For thousands of years, the cry of the human heart is, God, show us your glory. God, we want to know you. We want to experience you. It's the ache of poets. It's the song of the oppressed. God, show us your glory. Show it. Reveal yourself to us. Make all things new. We want oppression to cease. And here, John says that it's no longer about us going up the mountain to try and find the glory of God. It's not about us trying to find that ultimate fulfillment and ultimate reality. It's God coming down to us. It's God revealing himself to us. The glory has come to you. So what does that mean? It means that the message of Christmas, the message of Christianity is you don't have to keep searching for God. God has come to you. You just need to open up your heart 
and let him come inside. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you just come in, I will dine with you. There is fellowship. There is intimacy. God is crowding at the door, pushing against the hinge. He wants to get in. His presence is all around us. It's like the air that you breathe and all you have to do is inhale. And this is so important because we live in a culture, we live in a time when culture says that fulfillment is always around the next corner. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the problem is with the pursuit of happiness is that happiness is always just outside of your grasp. You won't ever get it. Right? If I just get a new house, I'll be happy. If I get a new car, I'll be happy. If I get a new job, I'll be happy. If I just get married, I'll be happy. And if she gets a job, then we get the house, then I'll be happy, right? But happiness, happiness, if we're trying to pursue it, will elude us. But if we simply open ourselves to God and the presence of Jesus, it will fill us. God is here. This is not just some distant relationship. Some of you maybe are in a long distance relationship and that can be hard. And I think back to when I was dating my wife, Elisa, and there were times when she'd be away or I'd be away or whatever. And she'd write me letters. If you're uh, born before 1995, you're like, what's a letter? Um, And I remember getting them and it was like so precious to me. I'd read it and I'd reread it and read it a third time. I'd look up the words in the Greek and Hebrew, right? It was just so meaningful to me. And yet, when I actually saw her, it was a completely different level. God with us is not just God sending a book down from the heavens. It's God saying, I am here now with you. God understands you. God is with you. The word became flesh. We have seen his glory, but there's one last thing, and then we'll keep singing. God is for you. God is for you. There's a difference between just being with someone and being for someone. You can be with people, it's called a city, but being for someone is a community. God is for you. He's full of grace and truth, John says in 1.14. Now, there's all kinds of, we could spend hours just on this point, but notice the word full, it means abounding. It means overflowing. Grace, it means radical kindness, peace, and joy. Truth is translated as ultimate reality. What is John saying? He's saying when when the logos, the word, became flesh, and we saw his glory, he satisfies us in the deepest way. But not only that, he came to lavish his presence and his grace and his truth and his heart and his beauty and his shalom and his justice upon your life. Now, this isn't religion. Religion says you have to do all of these things in order to get to God or the gods, and maybe the God or the gods will forgive you, but they're really upset with you. No, the God of the Bible, the God of this first Christmas says, I love you with an everlasting love. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love. Neither height or death or angels or principalities or powers, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Jesus our Lord. This is the gospel and yet, isn't it true that Christians of all people (laughs) and churches sometimes have done a really bad job of living out and communicating this love. I mean, you just look at how we're perceived culturally or in our own city. 
Uh, sometimes people look at Christians as, well, they're just judgmental, or they're cynical, or they're bitter. We don't really want to hang out with Christians because they, they just are going to judge my life. Um, a few years ago, I had a chance to drive across the country, and it's really fascinating the places you'll see when you drive across the country. <laughs> there are parts of our country like, whoa, I had no idea. Um, and there's, on, on these drives, I've kind of taken this hobby of when I see an interesting church sign, we've all seen them, uh, the whole culture of church signage, um, I'll take a picture of them because some of them are so weird, honestly, and so off and so bizarre and in some cases judgmental. Um, here, here's a few of my favorite church signs. Um, God saw you do that. <laughs> Now, can you imagine, at this church, you wouldn't even need to have a sermon because everyone just comes in feeling horrible, right? There's the prayer room, right? Okay, here, here's another. Don't let, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Okay, here's, here's another. Church parking only. Violators will be baptized. Oh, my goodness. That's so welcoming. This is my favorite one. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> Some of you are like, yep, Dom, because I've heard you preach before, right? And so for many people, that's their impression of Christianity. That's their impression of what church is. And yet that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I'm full of grace and truth. I've come to adopt you as my daughters and my sons. You are welcome into my family. And all you have to do is just open the door of your heart. Let me come in. Let me heal you. Let me restore you. Let me set you free. Because if anyone is in Jesus, the old is gone. And all things are made new. I know that some of us, the cynical side of me is like, well, how do I know that's true? I mean, it sounds great. He's full of grace and truth. But how do I know that this is reality? Here's how we know. Check this out. It's because this God didn't just send his son to earth, a logos becoming flesh who dwelt among us and we saw his glory full of grace and truth. This God walked where we've walked. He was tempted in every way and yet without sin. He healed, he forgave, he shared, he taught, he loved, he gave himself. This God became weak and vulnerable and killable, betrayed with a kiss, nailed to a wooden Roman cross, giving his life, giving his all. Why? The Bible says he took our sin and he nailed it to the cross with him. You see, when the Bible says you're forgiven and you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, this isn't like some cheap grace thing. Oh, it's okay. You're forgiven. Just go live how you want to live. No, our sin cost Jesus the ultimate price. He gave everything. He laid down his life. He was pinned to the cross so that we may become what God has called us to be, so that we may be forgiven, so that we may be healed. He took our sin and he gave us redemption. He took our past and he says, now you can be born again. He took all of our junk and he says, here's my righteousness. He gave us all the ways we've messed up our story, and he says, let me write a new story in you. That is the message of Christianity, and that is the message of Christmas. It's what John is saying in John's gospel, and that, brothers and sisters, is what we are called to now live and be in our city. I close with this verse, 1 John 4. Same John who wrote the gospel of John, I think he ties it all together. 
He says, in this, the love of God was revealed among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pursuing Faith podcast. If this ministry has encouraged you in some way, would you consider leaving a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform that would help a ton in getting the word out? Also, if you want to partner with us or see what we're up to, check out our website, pursuingfaith.org.